You're listening to In Good Company with Hugh Byrne, a podcast about living consciously, making healthy choices, cultivating the power of awareness, and bringing mindfulness to our work and our lives. Today I'm talking with Daniel Turasini, the founder of Recharge, which is a meditation and napping studio in downtown Washington, D.C. Daniel was a corporate professional and was caught up in a lot of stress and anxiety. And he found meditation himself. And through finding meditation and through taking naps that he found really beneficial, this led him to create the studio here in Washington. My path and pursuit wasn't, you know, very dramatic or virtuous. I was a quote-unquote nine-to-fiver, which meant you had your cell phone with you 24-7. If a client contacts you uh, on vacation, you answer. If your boss contacts you while you're away in the middle of the night, you answer. <clears throat> so I, I was on this path of uh, just consistently feeling burnt out. It wasn't a sustainable path to productivity, no matter how you measure it. And businesses will measure productivity in different ways nowadays. And for me, it was just a very practical matter of I'm really exhausted. I'm very fatigued every day. Work is becoming more and more overwhelming. Um, I can apply all the time management, energy management techniques that I can research at a face value level, um, still feeling exhausted and fatigued every day. So my pursuit really started with just simply finding a cool, comfy, quiet place in the city downtown, which is where I was working uh, at the time, to take a nap, just to rest, just to relax, 20 minutes just to recharge my batteries. And there was no place in the city that existed and that I could find personally. So then I started to expand the network, I said, to coworkers, friends, so... This is a, an issue of biology, right? We all get that dip of energy in the middle of the day. Uh, so what, what do you do to kind of recharge your batteries and uh, make sure that that second half of the day is somewhat productive? Uh, and a lot of folks would say, you know, I, I steal away the car in my garage downstairs. I uh, go to a conference room. I go to a mother's room. I, some folks said they go to a stall in the bathroom. Just some extreme measures. And that was not for me. And so I felt it was a problem worth solving. Um, and it was a personal endeavor for myself because I knew that at this rate, I wasn't going to be able to sustain the type of um, work I've, I've been able to do. So I set out on this path to kind of just find a cool, comfy, quiet place to restore, to relax, to recharge. And along that path, I got an email randomly. I still don't know how I got on their listserv from the Fear Gallery of Art. And at the time, I was client-facing at LaFont, and Frugale of Art is Smithsonian, so right next door. And they were doing a once-a-week meditation on Thursday at noon. And at the time, you know, my upbringing is very traditional. Um, I played very traditional sports, um, very traditional uh, activities, um, extracurriculars. Meditation was a foreign concept to me. I really didn't understand what it was aside from, oh, that's that thing that Californians and hippies do, right? Um, or Hindus. And 
I did a little bit of research, and I was kind of desperate at that point. Um, so I'll try anything. So I went, and my first experience, I know a lot of people say, you know, your first experience, like, temper your expectations. But for me, it, I, I got an instant hit of calm yeah. um, at the time. And one of the biggest tools I use mindfulness meditation specifically for is to quell anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. And at the time, that's what I was seeking, any type of method, anything that would, you know, relieve that feeling of anxiety and stress. Um, Can you say a little about how you do that when you meditate? You know, when you see some worry come up or anxiety come up, what... Do you use your breath? Do you come back to your body? Do you have different techniques? Or Absolutely. To do that? And it's, it's really silly things, too. Because, mm. first of all, identifying what the root cause of that worry or anxiety is, is pretty important. And for me, a lot of the times, it's getting caught up in the future. What's happening next? What's going on tomorrow, next yeah. week, next month? So I think mindfulness as a tool is a fantastic um, method of bringing yourself back to the present and my most effective object of meditation uh, has been the breath for me because it's something that's portable it's something i can do anywhere i can do it on the bus i just so happen to have built out a beautiful studio where i love to do it every day and i meditate every evening and for me i'm not finding some transcendental meaning of life for me it's very practical so the first small steps were man, my sleep is so much better. I'm actually falling and staying asleep uh, and not waking up worrying about, you know, oh, my God, what, what, what's on my list of things to do today? Um, and just tossing and turning all night. So that was kind of the first major impact of the practice. The second was a more enjoyable ride home. I mean, I think anybody who lives in D.C. knows that it's a nightmare to drive around here. And we get caught up in this guy cutting me off and, and, and you know, this, this woman swerving and this and that. Uh, and it's really stressful to be driving on 66, 495, wherever you are in this area, you know, 7, 123, no matter where you are, it builds. Um, and some people kind of retain that stress and some people kind of explode, neither of which is healthy. And so... This was a way I was able to, I mean, my ride just felt more enjoyable enjoyable after the practice because mm -hmm. I wasn't so caught up into what that guy or that girl did to me. Right. It was more about, um, you know, I, I wasn't so focused on the destination as much as, hey, I'm going to get there. Yeah. I'm going to get there. Uh, there's no major urgency. There's no major catastrophe. I'm going to get there. And it not only was it a wonderful drive home, but it had uh, kind of a domino effect because I'm coming home to somebody and that somebody was very much uh, happy when I'm coming back in a good mood yeah. uh, as opposed to just coming back with just high levels of stress from just a miserable ride home. So, I mean, very practical um, benefits for me in terms of how I've uh, found my practice. What about... You bring up relationships, which is a key thing. You know, what is it? Um, Jean-Paul Sartre said, "Hell is other people." You know? <laughs> and you know, I mean, we can get really caught up in you know in how somebody is doing something wrong, or you know, if only they were different. How has mindfulness affected your relationships as well? You've already kind of spoken a little about that. I mean, what do you notice? How do you work with stuff that comes up that's challenging? Yeah, I know. 
you know, there may be many different types of people, but for me, if you can categorize them in two different people, some people, <clears throat> they either ingest stress and it builds inside them, or they push stress towards uh, somebody else, and that gets consumed. I'm very much the type of person that uh, consumes stress from other people. I absorb stress, and then I internalize my own stress. And that's not healthy because while I don't react and explode, I shut down. And that's not effective for communication, for relationships, for any of that. Um, And so I think one of the main, you know, if you're able to develop a practice that teaches you to stay in the present moment and you don't get caught in this bubble of anxiety, stress, fear, that flight or fight response, you can really develop a real relationship um, based on communication and trust and how you're actually feeling. You can actually, uh, while you're communicating, you have effective communication because I'm actually having a real conversation where I'm reading you um, uh, both in what you're saying and, and how you're feeling and not developing this narrative in my head about you know an argument or whatever I'm composing I want to say. I can actually be with the person I'm speaking with. I think that's huge. Uh, that may be the most probably underestimated value of uh, meditation that, that I've found. Another question I often get from people is, yeah, I get that, and I can see how it can be helpful, but what if the other person continues to be a pain, you know, continues to you know, be who they are sometimes? You know, sometimes people are, are challenging and just have certain personalities that are kind of difficult to be with. Do you need to... You need to. Does the other person need to be being mindful, or do you feel that you can be mindful with somebody who's a little less than mindful, maybe a little mindless? For me, the answer always starts with looking inside yourself. Um, any issue, um, any any type of reactive conversation, uh, potentially is very much mitigated if the one person, at least one person mm-hmm. in that interaction is somewhat being mindful or aware of their surroundings. Um, they're able to understand the situation for what it is. So maybe it has nothing to do, most of the time, has nothing to do with you at all, or even the situation at present. The reactive communication could be a factor of something that happened earlier during the day that has nothing to do with what... So... I would say in all types of communication, probably the best first step is to look inside yourself. And I think that's really the only perception that we can control uh, is our own perception. And if you're stuck trying to change every other person in the world, you know, good luck doing that. (laughs) Yes, well, well, well said. It sounds to me, I mean, you've really said it, that, that meditation and mindfulness is a very much a kind of a bedrock habit for you. You know, you do it on a daily basis. You incorporate it into your driving, into your relationships. Um, are there other habits that you have, whether it's eating or exercise or others, that also are important to you in maintaining a, a balance in your life, a sense of being less caught up in worries and anxiety and stresses, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first I'll touch on the practice, because the practice to me is 
was a little bit more seamless in that I understood it um, because I was able to uh, make the analogy between practicing mindfulness, exercising the mind, and then exercising my body, which I've been used to doing training just in the gym or whatever, for whatever sport, for many, many years. So it made sense to me, right? Um, the brain and exercising, you know, whatever it is, concentration, creativity, focus, productivity, um, those types of things can be exercised. And there's been a lot of, um, it's very interesting, so kind of the last couple of decades of core research that's been done of actual physical changes in the brain. So it's no longer this kind of um, you know, voodoo thing that a lot of people had preconceived notions about. There's actually hard science to kind of back up why we do it, which was important to me. I mean, the why was very important to me. And for some people, they'll take away a feeling, and that's fantastic. And for me, the feeling is, is great, but I want to understand the why behind it. Uh, as to other habits, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, uh, and I'm just like everybody else, get caught up in... Um, how I'm perceived by other people and getting validation back um, that's outside uh, myself. So whether it be on social media or you know some type of project that I'm working on, seeking that validation from other people that I'm doing a good job is super important to me. I think that's a habit that I would love to break because I want to be able to find happiness in what I'm doing because I enjoy doing it, not so much because somebody else approves of what I'm doing or disapproves of what I'm doing or whatever the case may be. So finding that kind of um, satisfaction, inner satisfaction, that what I'm doing is right because that's what uh, I want to do and and not necessarily needing the validation of others, I think is a critical uh, habit that I'm constantly kind of working towards uh, resolution. So what particular techniques or skills or practices do you use when you do find yourself getting kind of getting caught up on wanting validation, wanting people to like me or whatever it is. How do you how do you work with that in, in your own experience? I, I'm actually very lucky. So because you know we built that recharge, we built out the space, uh, we've got a fantastic group of certified expert instructors that come in and practice various different traditions. So uh, from mindfulness to meta to uh, loving kindness, um, we have deep sound, deep rest classes. So it kind of depends on what I want to focus on. I mean, I focus mainly on mindfulness meditation because I, I really understand and connect with the why, and it really alleviates that sense of stress, anxiety, um, that is kind of my why, the reason why I came in to explore meditation in the first place. Um, I think loving kindness or meta practice is a very undervalued practice in, in our society. I mean, developing a sense of compassion and empathy for other people is huge in communication. I think it very much um, circumvents the perception of how we interact with each other on a day-to-day basis. Uh, just going on social media is a prime example of how reactive people are based on no information at all because you can't really. Right. I mean, you, you don't really know the person at all you're interacting with most of the time when you have a disagreement. Um, so having that little bit of uh, knowledge just in compassion and empathy towards the person on the other side of the table, I think, is critical in, in any interaction. Um, so that's been, that's been very helpful for me as well. And it's also really important to remember, isn't it, that the 
to include ourselves in the in the compassion in the lo- in the loving kindness practice. Right. I, I really really agree with you about um, it. Loving kindness being a sometimes undervalued. You know, mm-hmm. people mindfulness kind of people get. Oh yeah, they kind of be aware of your experience. Be here now. It's kind of in the culture. Right. But the actual cultivation of attitudes of friendliness towards ourselves and towards others, it's, it can be, as you say, I think a really powerful, powerful practice. Just a, a kind of shifting a little bit to what you're seeing in, around you, around us. You know, here we are in the nation's capital. You know, lots going on, lots of new stressor, stressors around, you know, the political situation and changes in laws and all sorts of things going on that every, all of us are very aware of. Um, have you seen any shift, any increase in interest? Um, how, how are things looking in terms of, in general, I think we're all seeing a, a kind of an explosion of interest in mindfulness and meditation. It's coming out, as you said, of the woo-woo into the more scientific, into right. the more kind of grounded in what people can get in their own experience. What are you seeing in in your studio, in the people that you're working with, the kind of people that are coming in? Anything interesting you can share with us on that? It's all interesting. I mean, yeah. the trend is very remarkable. And first off, yeah, so we are located uh, off New York and 15th, so we're literally a block from the White House, and that was intentional. Um, and no matter your, your political leanings, uh, you know, we are located in the central business district, so our kind of core persona, if you will, is the Harry D.C. business professional. Um, but we're obviously open doors to any and everybody who wants to come in. And mainly that was uh, due to uh, – I grew up in D.C. I'm a native Washingtonian. Um, and so I very much uh, have an emotional – um, funny bone for for this city, mm-hmm. and so I care. I care about the community. It was something that you know I had exposure and seen in on the West Coast in New York as something that was not only trendy but something that was um, being adopted and being accepted and being something that's very successful and very helpful. And there wasn't. Um, it did exist in D.C., but I don't think it was um, – it wasn't as uh, large-scale uh, or as – it wasn't as big, I think, as some of those other cities in terms of adoption. And we were kind of the first studio, if you will, to market mindfulness and meta and general meditation to business professionals as a way to alleviate stress, as a way to um, explore what it means um, to manage stress and, 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 your, and, and your energy during the day. Um, who do we see? We see a lot of business professionals, but we see everybody, all walks of life. D.C. is a very interesting city because it is very transient. You see people from all over the place that come here. Um, so we see people that are coming in full business suits and we see people that come in t-shirt and shorts and we want everybody to come and, you know, no matter what your level of experience is, we see a lot of folks who currently it's, it's a one-on-one for them. It's their first time 
very much how I was a couple years ago when I first discovered meditation. Um, I've heard of it. I've seen it in the magazine. It's supposed to be good for me. It's supposed to develop my brain and certain benefits that I'm really interested in, uh, in attaining. Uh, so let me try it out. And that's what I recommend to anybody out there listening is if you're kind of skeptical, um, you don't feel it's maybe it's not for you, but you're not, you're kind of unsure, go in and try it out. Try it out. Um, because really I think what we're seeing, not only from business to consumer, but a lot of the businesses are adopting it uh, just as a wellness benefit for their employees because they understand that the science is there. This is not just something that's a casual practice only. Um, it's something that really has uh, a bottom line and, and really has, uh, you know, an influence in terms of happiness and productivity of their workforce, which is essential for any company if you want to retain and attract exceptional talent. Um, and I think there's kind of a race, especially in this city. It's very competitive for the mm-hmm. best of the best. And um, mindfulness as a practice is a very easy lift. You need somebody who knows um, what they're teaching, knows the practice, understands the practice, has been doing it for a while, um, and um, and essentially a conference room and an open mind. Uh, and so we've seen it work really well in corporate environments around the D.C. area. Uh, a lot of it, as I said, is introductory. It's 101. But there are some companies that have that exposure in, in other cities uh, and that it's a core part of their program. They just haven't had it in D.C. And so we're kind of filling that gap. And I think it's been... I mean, the feedback has been amazing, um, and it's new for a lot of people, and so that could go either way. But the feedback we've gotten so far has been exceptional, and, and so we're, we're very happy to, to be here. What's your vision of where you'd like to see this go, both in terms of your own company, your own business, this Enterprise, and then even more broadly for the for the culture, for the society more more generally. What would you like to see, let's say, in five, ten, twenty years? Yeah, I mean, yeah. first off, in this community, what we've seen is we've seen a lot of feedback from folks um, who have all different ranges of reasons why they come in. Some trauma based some, you know, less acute, stress-based, and some folks just are interested in learning more about what it means to be a compassionate human being. Um, And some people just want to rest in the middle of the day, and that's that's good too. So we're really working on refining the model here. Whether or not it becomes franchisable in a few years, that's left to be seen. Uh, We're really interested in seeing this out as a shared amenity for... um, for offices, for large commercial office spaces, and that's kind of the that was kind of the original tent behind the concept. Is um, again, these these a lot of these companies are looking for to, to attract and rate and retain the best of the best, and a lot of these developers are looking to charge premium rents for their space, and they've got typically a lot of them have space in the back, and it's it's kind of like an arms race in terms of what wellness amenity can be provided. And not every company is Google and Nike, uh, Ben and Jerry's Pizza Hut, and has the resources to either build out a nap room or have uh, you know, a, a full mindfulness program within, within their, their corporate wellness benefits program. Uh, 
So if you have the ability in a large urban area to have a shared amenity, a shared space, um, which kind of economize those resources, you're able to get those benefits at a lower cost. Um, and I think making this practice accessible to everybody is my top priority. This, I, I very much resonate with what you say about try it. All it really calls for is an open mind, as you say, kind of go, go in with some interest, with some curios- curiosity. Um, and if, it, if it's not for you, that's fine. There's a lot of other things out there. Absolutely. But if it is, it can, you know, as you and I know, and probably many others listening to us know, it can have profound, profound benefits in our life. In our lives, um, there's a kind of a within the meditation world. There's there's something of a, a debate about um, about you could call it about accessibility. I think everybody wants to see these skills, these practices, these mm-hmm. teachings become as accessible as possible. Um, but there's also concerns have been raised about you know you could call it a kind of a maybe a dumbing down or a there's a, a term that's been used, um, Mac mindfulness. I don't know if right. you're familiar with yeah. that. But, um, <laughs> it's kind of like you, you've taken a piece of an ancient tradition, but maybe other pieces aren't there so strongly. Um, for example, the ethical part of the tradition, out the teachings out of which mindfulness comes, about how we live our lives, sure. about how we speak, how we act, how we with the kind of work that we do, all of that. And sometimes a kind of caricature is, is put forward of like, well, what about training people to be more mindful snipers or more <laughs> mindful burglars or something? Right, you know, right. It kind of gets a little silly at times. But, but you can think if, if that's all mindfulness is, then you're not really doing so much for the culture, for the world. And so I'm just wondering if you have some thoughts about that. Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I mean, personally, I'm very much in the shallow end of, of this large pool that is meditation and, and mindfulness, um, which is why I rely very heavily on, um, on our chief experience officer, who's Christine Marcella. Uh, she's, this has been her life. Um, she's been an integrative therapist. She's been in the world of yoga and meditation for her whole life. So I very much rely on her um, to really preserve the integrity of the practice. So where my mission is accessibility, her mission is integrity. So I think we really balance each other out very, very well. Um, and I agree. I mean, I, I very much agree that that this is something that uh, this is a practice that has evolved over thousands and thousands of years and and so to preserve the integrity is is very much important to me um, at the same time, our culture our American culture has evolved at such a rapid rate you see trends of folks um, departing a little bit from traditional religious activities and are looking for a space to contemplate to meditate that 's kind of free from the guru. Um, from the shrine, so it offers kind of a safe, safe space to do that. Some people like me came in from just an absolute practical perspective. I have I have this issue. Um, I've tried A, a through Z. I, you know, I don't think it merits pharmaceuticals, or maybe people have tried medicine before, and it, you know, obviously it has side effects, and that's not good either. Um, so it's another avenue to try and alleviate whatever um, whatever ailment you that you like such a stress, anxiety. Um, 
but preserving preserving the integrity of practice is is a large part. It's a balance, right? Yeah. I think it's a balance in our eyes, and I, I think right now, uh, eventually there'll be some type of um, congregation, some type of standardization. Um, I know for us, it's something that we keep at the forefront of our mind. So we're doing the best we best we can to, to strike that balance. I like I like very much the way you put that. Um, it is. Uh, I think it's a really interesting exploration, a tradition that has been around for thousands of years that has itself kind of transformed as it went into cultures and mm-hmm. also been changed. It's helped change cultures and also, to some extent, been changed by the cultures going into China or Japan or Tibet or other countries. And here, coming into a, a very advanced, um, very materialistic based society, culture, um, how is this going to work? And I, and I think the way you've framed it as really a balance. I think there are concerns that have to be taken account of, but then the benefits are also, are also really huge. Absolutely. Just a couple more things I'd love to uh, hear from you on. Um, one is, um, who's inspired you um, in this kind of journey that you've, uh, that you've embarked on? Is there an individual or a few individuals that you think of as like, okay, these are people that I can really kind of give me inspiration, give me energy in, in your life, wherever, whoever? Yeah, this, I mean, this question I could probably talk about for the next six hours. Uh, it always starts with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a remarkable human being, and, and um, he started his own business when I was growing up, so kind of being attached at his hip. Um, I really understood, just from a business perspective, what it took um, to run a business, to to start, um, execute, manage, grow a business. So I think that for me is invaluable because you you can take any ideology, any merit, any great concept, but if you can't execute it, no matter how much goodwill or good thought behind you have it, you have behind it. Um, if it's not going to have a footprint, if it's not going to have an impact, um, then you're kind of just spinning your wheels. So I think um, that perspective is, is, is hugely valuable to me. Um, what was his uh, business in? What area? He was in information security, um, a very dry field. But, <laughs> but it was at a time that was critically important. I mean, because as you see in a lot of industries, the, the rapid pace of uh, innovation obviously is well in front of any type of regulation and protection. Um, so he was kind of at the forefront of building around protection so that uh, we can all enjoy different forms of communication without being uh, intruded or attacked by you know, outside um, forces, whatever they may be. Um, other influences and inspiration, I mean, every day. Um, I, I kind of get my greatest influences from people who are truly um, different. And I, I don't mean that as in just somebody who is a nonconformist and, you know, peacocks and um, displays themselves as a nonconformist. I mean somebody who's, um, somebody who's, who's truly... Uh, truly different and wants wants to change the world has just a different perspective about things it always intrigues me and i find these people every day and they're not necessarily the most um colorful people uh in terms of how they maybe present or speak 
about themselves, but whatever you find somebody that just has a unique position or thought on any subject, I'd say hang on to them, listen to them. And I think that's part of where this practice is so valuable because it's easy to kind of ignore certain people. And if you're able to open up your mind, especially to that person who may be, you know, in your periphery, um, you'll get more value out of that person than, than you ever expect. Um, and then I find a lot of inspiration through nature itself. I mean, Mother Earth is, it sounds kind of silly, but it's just incredibly inspirational. I just came back from a trip um, from Denver and then Lake Powell, which is in Utah. And just the majesty of the mountains in Denver is inspiring all on its own. I mean, just that, um, just that we, we have this to be able to experience is, is amazing all on its own. Uh, and then Lake Powell just felt like another universe. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even on the same planet. I mean, just, so just kind of experiencing and, uh, different parts of the world, different being out in nature, being exposed to something different, uh, I think is hugely impactful on, uh, on your worldview. Um, so getting exposure to as many different types of people and different environments as you can, I think is, is imperative if you have the ability and resources and you're lucky enough to be able to do that. And what about core values that motivate you? What, what, what do you feel is kind of at the center of what you do or would want to be, you'd want to be at the center of what you do? What, what you, to guarantee that this, you know, that what you're doing is, has integrity or it has vision or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, most important? so my name isn't attached to um, any of the stuff that we do. So you won't see it on the website. You won't see my bio. You won't um, um, see a lot of my information online uh, because I want what I want to be at the forefront of people's mind in D.C. and this community is the practice itself and not so much worry about who's driving the cart. Uh, as much as uh, the focus on the practice and what it's doing and its impact and footprint on the community itself. So when I hear the stories day-to-day of our customers that come in and say, um, you know, I had, I've tried everything. I, I can't sleep. Um, I tried this yoga ninja workshop that you've been doing month, month after month. I've tried some of the mindfulness practices and, I, and uh, some of the pranayamas. And a lot of these tools I'm using and I'm able to fall asleep so much better. That is so um, personally um, rewarding. Uh, I won't go into personal stories about some of our customers, but it's, it's been very personal, personally satisfying when somebody has something that they're, tr- they're trying desperately you know, to find a solution for it. And they, they've looked everywhere. And in this far little corner over here in D.C., there's this, you know, little studio. Oh, meditation. That, I wonder how that's going to work out. I wonder what that's going to be like. And they try it. It really has profound effects on a lot of people. And uh, so that's really one I, where I want to make my mark is I want, I want this practice. I want, um, I want our, our brand, what we, what we bring to this community, I really like that to have a big footprint here in D.C. most of all because this is, I mean, this is the city I care about the most. And if there's one factor or trait that's contributed to bringing you to where you are and your business to where it is today, what would that be? 
It's probably a good thing and a bad thing, but I would say um, drive. I mean, I have one speed, and that's go. And originally, uh, I unfortunately, I kind of underestimated that because when I set out on this pursuit, I really wanted to explore this as a hobby, as something on the side that I really cultivated for my own practice and for the benefit of a small community. Um, but I found out I'm not able to do anything as a side project. Uh, I have to just jump in, uh, jump in the deep end, uh, full force and, and, and go. What that does is you got You have to make sure a hundred percent that you're surrounded by the right people because, um, there's a lot of things I'm very unfamiliar with, especially this is a brand new world for me. So surrounding yourself with the right people is critical. Um, I have certain strengths, uh, but the instructors and the people that I've surrounded myself with at Recharge really um, have strengths that balance out my own. And uh, so we're really looking forward to what what's happens in the next you know one to five years. It's going to be exciting. That's wonderful. Well, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you this afternoon, and and uh, lots of food for thought, lots of stimulating um, thoughts, ideas, reflections you brought today. And uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. It's so a pleasure. Much.